Welcome to the Industrial IoT Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Innovations in technology can be exciting and industry-changing, but sometimes the technology alone just isn't enough. The best part is when the technologies come together to create a co-working ecosystem. Here to tell us about the current state of IoT and how blockchain and AI are changing the game is Tom Raftery, Global VP, Futurist, and Innovation Evangelist at SAP. Tom, how are you doing? Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm doing really well. And hi, everyone. Thanks for your interest in uh, IoT and IIoT. Yeah, you know, I'm really excited to dive into the way that these technologies are working together. You know, I feel like that's what we're seeing in a lot of industries is not just one innovative technology making moves, but you're seeing two or three interacting together and creating sort of this this conglomerate of new technological innovation. So why don't we just dive right into it? I'd love to know what is the current state of IoT in regards to blockchain and AI, just sort of in a general sense. How are those technologies working together? I often say to people that, you know, IoT by itself is kind of useless it's 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 meaningless nobody approaches us as sap and says can i have an iot please you need to take the data from the sensors the iot sensors and you need to bring them into some kind of uh, intelligence suite which has things like ai which has things like blockchain which has things like analytics which has things you know, like big data management suites and things like that. It's only when you actually take the data from the IoT devices and run your intelligence on it and run your analytics on it that you can actually get meaningful information from your IoT. But as I say, IoT by itself is of no use to anyone. That's why I think it's important to look at kind of the ecosystem of technologies that are there now, because individually they're they're useless it's only when you bring them all together that you get information out yeah absolutely i agree they all have their one thing that they do very well or i mean it could be several things but it's it's focused and finding ways to capitalize on you know how some technologies might fail in one regard another technology can come in and sort of help push it to the next level so let's start with blockchain specifically how is iot and blockchain working together? There are several interesting use cases for blockchain and IoT, and most of them are around things like uh, supply chain, kind of the whole track and trace stuff. So showing that, uh, you know, in a, in a kind of a farm to fork environment that your food came from uh, animal X on farm Y and is now on your plate or in the case of things like pharmaceuticals, showing that the transportation of the pharmaceuticals from the pharmaceutical plant through to delivery in the pharmacy or in the hospital, that it was kept at a particular temperature, that it wasn't interfered with, that, you know, it is the right product from the right manufacturer, that it hasn't been swapped out for a generic or for a fake product, for example. We, we see it as well in, in things like jewelry, even the provenance of diamonds. Everledger are doing this, managing the provenance of diamonds to show that there are no blood diamonds in, in their supply chain, that they're all 
for want of a better term, kosher diamonds, you know. So for proving the provenance of anything in a supply chain or for proving that the articles in the supply chain have not been tampered with or have been have been kept within the right conditions during their transportation, things like that, blockchain for that is phenomenal. We see it as well in the transportation section. We in SAP have a proof of concept around the shipping, the shipping industry. So getting rid of bills of lading, bills of lading are these big wads of paper that have to go along with every container and document every step in the transportation process, everything from the raising of credit notes from banks uh, through to the delivery of the container to its final destination. And it can pass through multiple uh, geographies if it's on a ship, for example, and may have to go through customs and excise multiple times. And all these things are recorded in different pieces of paper. But We've got a blockchain solution which can get rid of all those bits of paper. And again, it's all about tracking and tracing and making the, the whole the whole thing much more efficient for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. Does the decentralization aspect of blockchain work at all with IoT? Because I know, especially when looking at cryptocurrencies, the whole fact that blockchain technology is very decentralized is appealing in that regard. Does this have any sort of impact on the Internet of Things? You know, it will depend on the use case. For for some use cases, it, it may be a good thing. For others, uh, other organizations may want to have a, an internal private blockchain. And, you know, that will depend from organization to organization and from use case to use case. Yeah, I mean, what you said about the verification aspect of blockchain, I think that is really, really potent. We had someone else on our podcast come on to talk about how blockchain is already showing itself to be a great verifier. I think there was a story in the media the other day, a big uh, CTO or CFO was removed from a company because it turns out he had faked a PhD degree and that was verified through through blockchain technology. And I think that aspect of blockchain, especially when you have an internet of things where so much data is connected, you want to make sure that that data, you know, there, there's some integrity to it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, MIT are actually using blockchain's uh, technology now to become one of the first universities to issue receipt-owned virtual credentials. Uh, they have a digital diploma system, so employers and schools can quickly verify that a graduate's degree is legitimate by using a link or by uploading a student's file. In the development of this, they've talked about sharing this technology with other third-level institutions so that it wouldn't just be them, it would be all third-level institutions eventually would have verifiable credentials. So that particular case you're talking about won't happen again because no one would be able to fake qualifications because it'll be instantly verifiable. And when you think as well, Microsoft have said that they are going to embrace decentralized identity systems built on blockchain because right now, identity is a particularly hard thing to do online. When you think that Microsoft own LinkedIn, then suddenly it becomes very clear where their intentions lie in this. With the Internet of Things, clearly you have a large web of data and you have a lot of interconnected systems. And I feel like there's always the conversation of security or you know concerns about making sure the data is safeguarded. 
And with blockchain, you know, now you have a much better way of verifying the data and making sure that everything is legit. So when you look at that, let's say in the world of something like finance, you you know, dealing with people's money, dealing with economies, that and healthcare, I feel like people put it some of the highest regard of things that need to be safeguarded, you know, my money and my health. So how does the use of blockchain with IoT affect, uh, you know, the economic world? It's fascinating. Actually, there's a, a very good article in the Harvard Business Review, which is written by Joichi Ito. Joichi Ito is the uh, head of the MIT Media Lab. And uh, he wrote this article last year talking about how blockchain will do to the financial system what the internet did to media. And of course, being head of the media lab, he'd know all about that. It's it's not just Joy Ito. As you also see things like April of this year, Christine Lagarde, uh, head of the IMF, wrote a blog post on the IMF's blog talking about how uh, blockchains will make transactions, financial transactions, far more inexpensive, far more efficient, far faster. And off the back of that, we saw earlier this year as well, Santander, who are a large Spanish-based bank, one of the big banks globally, they launched a, a way for customers to transfer money using blockchain. Initially, it was four countries. So the Santander banks in four countries, the countries were, if memory serves correctly, they were Spain, Brazil, Poland, and the UK. Uh, so that was the initial. And we were talking same day money transfers. But by the end of the summer, the aim is for it to be in the entire Santander global network and for the transactions to be instant. So when we see that kind of disruption happening in the financial system, it's mind blowing, really. And, you know, Santander and, and those are not alone. There's lots of other institutions. When you There was a survey done of central banks recently and I think it was 20% of them said that they're looking at blockchain right now and they're going to launch something on blockchain in the next two to five years. So, you know, the whole financial industry is being massively disrupted by this. And of course it is because, as Christine Lagarde said in, in her blog post, it makes financial transactions uh, more transparent. It makes them more efficient. It makes them more trustworthy. And these are the kind of things that appeal to the main players in the financial world, they want these kind of things because it makes it uh, faster, easier and cheaper for them to move money around. Right. And, you know, those feel like the core parts of moving your money around, right? And the fact that it's just now reaching the point where it's that safe, it's that easy, it's that cheap, you know, that that is just quite the revolution of technology. And it's, it's putting financial transactions to the level where I think everyone has imagined them being for a really long time, which is really exciting. So let's move towards artificial intelligence now. I'd like to talk a bit about the intersection between the Internet of Things and AI. I feel like that one can be interpreted in a way where, you know, with your Internet of Things, let's say you are managing several systems in a building, having something that is, you know, either machine learning or is more self-aware of the uses of the building could then take that data and automate it. So what are some other examples of ways that AI and IoT are working together? The first thing I'd say about AI, just to give a bit of background on it, is that we're seeing a new kind of renaissance period for AI. It was kind of in the doldrums for a while. There was a lot of research done in the 70s and 80s and so on. But 
Where we were falling down on any advances was in compute and storage. And we've since broken through those barriers. And now since 2012, the amount of compute used in the largest AI training runs has been increasing exponentially with a three and a half month doubling time. And if you compare that to Moore's law, Moore's law had an 18 month doubling period. So since 2012, this metric has grown more than 300,000 times, which is just extraordinary. So the amount of training we're able to do on AIs and consequently the intelligence of them as you know, it, it's increased uh, significantly, enormously, enormously since 2012. Um, and as a result, we're able to do really fascinating things with AI now, which wouldn't have been possible in the past. I mean, things like image processing, things like uh, natural language processing, these kind of simple things. I mean, you know, you can talk to Siri now or Google and they understand what you say with, you know, 95 to 97% accuracy, which is actually better than humans. When you then think about as you to get back to your question, when uh, when you think of it in kind of the, the built environment and the sensors you have in buildings, uh, very often those sensors are saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then every so often they go, oops, I'm not so fine. And, you know, kind of wave back at the at the base. And you need a certain amount of AI at the edge to be processing all those signals from all those hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of sensors in your building and to be going through all the I'm fines, I'm fines and looking at, you know, when one goes above or below a particular threshold and then to flag an alert and to not keep all the I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine data because why would you? Because it's just the, the sensor saying I'm fine. AI at the edge is hugely important in that kind of scenario. We're seeing it as well. I mean, I mentioned the visual processing, and that is seeing enormous effects in the healthcare environment. If you look at things like mammograms, for example, or uh, CAT scans or MRIs, the radiologist's job in a lot of these cases is to look through these scans and look for anomalies. And this is massively repetitive work, which, you know, I'm not a radiologist, but I got to say it, it, it has to get boring after a while. The AIs can look through these now and they are now more accurate in most cases when they've had the proper training than the radiologists who would do it. And the way these will work in the future is that they will augment the radiologists rather than making them unemployed. They'll actually make them far more efficient. So whereas a radiographer up to today may have been able to go through, we'll say, 100 scans or 100 patients in a, in a day, or maybe not even that. I'm just picking a number because I don't know. But let's say it was 100. Now, the same radiologist could maybe go through 1,000. What would happen is they would all be fed into the AI, and the AI would go, I'm looking at this scan. Uh, it's and 99% probable that it's clear, 99% probable that it's clear. And then it'll hit one where it says, eh, 95%. And that one's flagged, radiologist checks that one out. That way, the radiologist can become far, far more efficient because he or she is just looking at one in 10, maybe, of the scans just to make sure that the AI is on track. And that way, you avoid a lot of uh, false positives or false negatives. And how does blockchain technology allow that to happen at a greater and more reliable speed? 
I'm not sure that it does, but where where you're seeing some interesting uses of blockchain in this kind of scenario is I saw a report recently that some researchers in California are trying to get data on mammograms. And it's quite sensitive data, and people are very worried very often about what's going to happen to their medical information. So it's it's hard for these researchers to get access to mammograms, mammogram results. They just happen to be looking for mammogram results. So they've come up with a system using a blockchain where people can submit their mammogram results through this blockchain, and that way they can determine who has access to the mammogram information and for what purposes and for what length of time, and they can take away that access at any point in time. And you know yourself, if you are in a closed system that you are not not able to get out of, you'll be very slow to enter into it in the first place. But if you can have a clear exit at any point in time, then you're far more comfortable going into it. And similarly with this, the idea is that if people are reticent to hand over their data because they don't know what's going to happen with it, then put a blockchain system in place where they have complete control of the data and you should then take away a lot of the reticence so people would be more willing to contribute their data to medical studies when they can revoke access to that data at any point in time. I love that. Yeah, giving the control back to the people who own the data, right, who the data belongs to. That is really important, especially in something like healthcare where a lot of that data is very sensitive and people don't want to send it off to some provider or some company that they're unsure how it's going to be handled. I mean, we've been seeing a lot of security concerns with personal data, you know, as of very recently. I mean, even something like Facebook. I know that's not exactly the same thing, but it's that concept of, okay, I felt like this was personal data, and now people that I had no interest in using it are actively using it. So, yeah, I I think that's really important. I think what I'm still missing is the link of how the Internet of Things and AI are working together. What is that ecosystem like in you know any industry? The example I gave earlier where the sensors are throwing off this information, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, it requires AI at the edge to go through that data to determine which data to send back to base and which data to discard, for example. We see it as well a lot in cars, the the new autonomous cars that are being uh, worked on. A lot of AI is required there within the vehicle itself. So again, we're talking edge computing in this scenario. You can't, in a in the situation of a, an automobile traveling at 50 or 60 miles an hour, you can't have it send data to a central repository to make a decision because it, the lag time would just be too long. It has to be instantaneous, on-the-spot decision-making, which requires AI in the vehicle itself. Now, in, in, in a kind of an industrial environment, uh, I can talk about, for example, so one of our customers is a company called Trainitalia. And they are the train operator for all of Italy. And they recently rolled out a predictive maintenance solution, which was hugely successful for them. Uh, It's for the entire rolling stock of their fleet of locomotives and carriages. It's now saving them 8 to 10% on their annual maintenance budget, which is 1.3 billion euros. So they're saving between 110 and 130 million euro a year 
with this solution. And of course, there's massive amounts of AI used in this solution because what's happening is, like I mentioned with the other uh, use cases I talked about, is all these sensors on all these, in this case, trains and carriages and locomotives, all these sensors are using AI to decide whether something is out of tolerance or not. And if it is, they'll flag an alert back to base. And it's even more interesting because you've got a lot of connected systems at the back end. So if we talk about a particular use case, these trains, particularly the newer locomotives, have you know f- up to 5,000 sensors per locomotive and even more in the carriages. You know They're measuring everything from the friction on the wheels through to the quality of the power in the overhead lines through to the amount of liquid in the windscreen washer fluid uh, container through to the quality of the, the batteries in the battery that are responsible for opening the doors between the compartments in the carriages. I, I never realized these were battery operated, but apparently they are. So if, if one of those batteries is going to fail, it's not a critical failure. It's just the doors would be stiff and you'll have to pull hard to get them to open instead of you stepping on a, on a pressure mat and them opening automatically. And if it is going to fail, it'll send a notification back to base. You know, I'm going to fail with 90% probability in the next week. And for Train Italia, when that message comes through, and they know which compartment this is on which carriage, which is attached to which locomotive, and they know the schedule for that carriage and that locomotive for the next four weeks. So they can then say, okay, well, we know this. Okay, which warehouse do we have that contains spare batteries, replacement batteries for that particular type of, of carriage? Okay, we know that now. And this is all done automatically. And then they'll know which employee they have who has been certified in the swapping out of those batteries in those carriages attached to those locomotives. And so it all kind of comes together nicely when that train pulls into, let's say, Napoli at four o'clock next Friday and Per Luigi is standing on the platform uh, with his iPad and the replacement battery steps onto the train, swaps out the battery, steps off the train and the train continues on its journey. And without massive amounts of AI and connectivity between systems at the back end, none of that would be possible. I love that. I love seeing real use cases for these technologies coming together. It's it's just exciting to see how they're making all these things that where before would take hours of searching, maintenance, research, having to, you know, see what is what is the problem? How are we going to fix it? Where are we going to allocate man hours? Okay, we need to pull the train off the station. We, you know, it's, it's so many things that go into this that would take up a, a whole day. I was just going to say they're getting 5 to 6% greater utility from the rolling stock now because, as you rightly pointed out, a lot of the trains are not being pulled in for service when it's not required. Exactly. They can they can do it on a routine stop. It pulls up to the station. They go in. They do the quick fix because the AI and the connected systems told them exactly what they need to fix, how long it's going to take. And it, it becomes such an easy process without having to disrupt the entire system, which is really cool. I, I love seeing the way that all these technologies are working together. So, Tom, thank you again for coming on the podcast and giving us a little more insight about how all these technologies are working together, that ecosystem really flourishing and pushing innovation in every industry. You know, if, if you had to leave the podcast on one note for the future of this ecosystem, where do you see it still going and growing? 
So what I say to people about this is that the cost of sensors is falling so much now that they are falling to almost zero in, in terms of cost. And what that means is that as they fall to zero, everything will have these sensors in them. Everything will be smart and connected. And when when everything is connected, suddenly terms like Internet of Things go away because we no longer say I have an internet connected phone, which is something we used to say 10 years ago when we had like the Nokia N95s and that. That's all gone away. We don't say it anymore because now every phone is internet connected. We no longer say things like I have an interactive website, which is something we used to say 20 years ago when that was a thing. Now, not so much because all sites are interactive. Similarly, in five to 10 years time, we'll no longer be talking about the internet of things because everything will be connected. Right. It's it's that point when the technology reaches ubiquity, the next level. Yeah. People don't know a life without it. And it would honestly seem silly to operate this kind of technology without that new innovation, which is no longer new. It's just ubiquitous, like you said. So, Tom, thanks so much for coming on and giving us this insight. Really enjoyed this podcast and hope you did, too. Thanks, Daniel. I really did. Had a great time. Thanks for inviting me. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. And if you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe to articles, podcasts, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin. Till next time. Till next time.